0: Microphone test. one two three four five six seven eight nine. 8, Scott's an idiot.
1: Okay. Got it. Hello, and welcome to Como Explained. It's a podcast from the KBIA newsroom. We take the thorny issues and politics that affect our community and we break them down. I'm Scott Pham, the digital content director here at KBIA. Hosting with me, as always, is Ryan Fumuliner, assistant news director at KBIA. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. Good. Okay, so today we are talking about uh, tornadoes. Yeah. And, uh, the reason why is not that there is a tornado right now, unless... I don't know, you're listening to this in the future. That would be, yeah, very, uh, I guess, timely in that situation, but also scary for you. Yeah. Now, the reason why is that it's on the list. It's, <laughs> and it's we have a list, and this is on it, and we're going to explain it. We explain things well, on the list. Well, there are
0: a lot of people like you, Scott, to be frank, that moved to the area and have never had to deal with tornadoes in their life. The idea, the threat of a tornado, and to understand the concept other than... Dorothy and Bill Paxton, right. That's so. actually
1: generous of you. No, more accurately, there are people like me who are just scared witless <laughs> of tornadoes, unable to deal with the concept of it.
0: Right. Yeah. And so maybe maybe this will help someone like you. I don't know that you've ever gotten over that. You already had that adjustment period. And I think you're just scarred because the first time you heard sirens, you just got really, really frightened. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it still amuses me every time that sirens go off up you're here like, at KBIA because it happens every now and then to, to see Scott just run around.
1: I'm running around, I'm cursing, are they laughing? What the hell is going on? Usually
0: a very cool character, but when
1: sirens go off, it turns into a yelping dog, basically. <laughs> um, no, I remember the one time when I first started here and the tests were going off and I didn't know they did that. Like, why would they... <laughs> That's scare right. everybody once a month. It's noon. That's not cool. It's noon and it's clear and sunny and yeah. And nobody's doing anything and I just feel like I'm insane. Like nobody's moving. They're just like writing stuff down at the computer. I'm like, you guys, you anybody guys, hear this? This is happening. Does anybody hear this? And there was one day, not a couple, I think it was earlier this year
0: where it went off at like one thirty in the afternoon because they'd forgot to set them off at noon on the regular right. time. And I remember that one scared you a lot, too, and scared a few other people. But again, it was like sunny outside, not a big deal. Obviously, those test sirens, I don't know that we do explain those too much. They're exactly what they sound like. They're just testing the sirens to make sure that they are uh, able to be used when they do need them. And they do it midday uh, on Wednesday, I believe, first Wednesday of the month. And so that's – the everyone that lives here knows that. And so that way you don't freak out when you hear it. And that's, you know, a good, it's a good idea, I think, uh, to be testing that regularly. And obviously, uh, emergency response officials agree. So anyway, there's your first thing explained today. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about the siren system, mostly going to talk about um, how tornadoes work, history of tornadoes here in the Midwest, and how the city is structured to deal with them.
0: Right. So we both got meteorology degrees for this show uh, so that we could explain explain how tornadoes work. Um, No, we're going to do our best, Uh, obviously. Actually, one of the best ways to understand it is to, next time there's a tornado warning, watch the local news. Some of them will do a pretty good job of explaining what you're seeing and what is creating the situation that they're worried about. In a nutshell, tornadoes actually can happen anywhere, but uh, the Midwest is a very common place for them to happen, Tornado Alley. We'll talk more about that in a, in a minute. But um, but part of it is the confluence of the air forces that show up into our area. Okay? So the, one of the big things is this old, gulf air, right? This very...
1: Warm, tropical
0: air. Right. Warm, tropical, dense, very moist air, rich air is what a meteorologist I talked to called it, um, you know, makes its way up into our area. And then it will, you know, come into uh, conflict We'll literally run into some of this Arctic air that will have a much different composition but also so be like very So like crappy powerful.
1: Canadian air. That's what the NOAA person said. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not that's, that's not what they not said.
0: What they said. <laughs> but crappy Canadian air and, and warm Mexican air. Um, mm-hmm. No, so, so those two uh, forces meet and um, we'll see a lot of storms through, the, through that interaction of uh, different air and wind sources. But that is one of the things that, it, that is particularly in our situation contributes to a lot of these tornadoes being formed.
1: Yeah, you know, and you talk to the weather people, and my theory when we were going into this was, does it have something to do with the flatness? Yeah. Is it about the planes system? And it turns out, no.
0: Yeah, that's, and I think that's a pretty popular misconception. In fact, I thought it had more to do with it than it actually does. I talked with uh, Julie Phillipson who's a meteorologist at the National Weather Service in St. Louis. And uh, she told me, I mean, it's not a non-factor. It will help a tornado sustain itself, right, because it doesn't run into something to slow it down. But uh, the typography actually doesn't make as big of a difference as you would think. Um, It's not the deciding factor in whether a tornado can happen. In fact, she said there's video of a tornado um, happening on top of Pike's Peak. And there are uh, – actually, tornadoes can happen over bodies of water.
1: See, so, why would she even tell you that? It's like a tornado can hit you at any minute an, right any now. minute,
0: anywhere. So they've been sighted in all 50 states. So, yeah, it's not just that it's flat. And I think they're, you know, that's kind of fed by, again, Wizard of Oz, Dorothy. You think of Kansas is the flattest place on the planet. And uh, I don't know if that's exactly true. I shouldn't say that. But it hmm. is very, very flat. And I think the name Tornado, tornado Alley also, like – feeds into the idea that the typography has something to do with Right, it, like right? it's getting fed
1: into a little narrow space. But right. It's not really. But it's
0: not really that. It doesn't have as much to do with the space. And that's why they show up all over the space. Right? Tornado
1: Alley is pretty big. It's, it is. It's like, kind of not right to call it an alley. It
0: is. I mean, they show up you know, well north of where we are, well south. We always had the big one in Joplin all the way down in Oklahoma. There have big, been big ones uh, you know, up in Kansas as well. I mean, it's not like it's some weird little sliver of land. It's still a really big area. Um, but this is where all these different sources of air are coming into conflict, so uh, so all that to say uh, that 's tornado alley, but it 's not it 's not maybe what you thought it was. I know what actually for me, it really wasn I 't th- I always thought the typography played a much bigger role in it than what it actually does
1: yeah, so you talked to NOAA, that 's the National Weather Service, part of the national oceanic and Atmospheric Alliance. Atmospheric Alliance, thank you. So what else do they tell you about detection? How do they do that?
0: Sure. So uh, they have a bunch of meteorologists like the one I talked to today that have offices. Like there's an office in the St. Louis area. There's another one in the Kansas City area. And they're watching radar day-to-day and tracking all, weathers, all weather patterns, right, and whatever's happening, any storms, uh, that type of stuff. And they're um, putting out data for the general public. This is what most uh, local news stations are going to be using for their weather reports as well are there predictions and also their tracking of current weather. And that's also
1: what's going – what our city employees are looking at as well. And we'll get into that
0: more deeply. But so when you're talking about tornadoes, this is where the work starts is looking at radar, right? And so uh, I I asked a little bit about the watch and warning system, which is something – You've come in. you probably come into contact with if you've been here for any amount of time. That uh, tornado watches will be issued, and those don't. Those necess- happen all the time. Those, ha- those happen all the time, which I think it's you probably
1: a watch right now.
0: There might be. <laughs> you didn't realize when you moved here that they happen all the time. The first time that <laughs> I happened, I think I texted you, you a out. few yeah. times. Yeah. I, was I was like, like "Is this a thing? Should I, like, I worry?" It's a tornado about Tornado watch. This? No, it's fine. Um, but a tornado watch, what it basically means uh, that what Julie Phillipsen told me is that when they're issuing a watch, it means the environment is conducive for tornadoes. It means that one has not been. Yet, and it actually isn't really imminent yet that it could happen. They actually get in contact with the Storm Prediction Center based in Norman, Oklahoma, to uh, issue these watches, showing them what they're seeing on the radar and saying, "Hey, this is a storm. That looks like it could produce a tornado. Should we let people to know? Should we let people know that they should be on the lookout for this?" And so, and so, it's not meant to even have you change any behavior. Really, it's meant for you to just realize, "Hey, this is something that could impact you today."
1: Right. You know, and and the way these tornadoes get formed is pretty interesting because oftentimes it will form as a result of a really big storm, sometimes a big rotating storm, but it's not like that becomes or tornado the way that we imagine maybe hurricanes work. Sure. It's it starts to create them. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of – that's exactly what the difference is between a watch
0: and a warning, actually, is that the watch, a lot of times to look at these things, you'll hear them talk about supercells. And basically what that is is this huge storm that is rotating on its own. So think about the huge storm up in the air rotating. Um, that entire storm is not going to become a tornado, right? It's going to be a much smaller part of that overall force. But that entire storm is rotating in the air. And that's something that – it's kind of like a little tornado maker, right? It, but they don't – that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Many times tornado, no tornado will ever touch down from one of those supercells. Mm -hmm. But when they see those forming or already formed, you'll likely have a watch issued for the path of the expected path of that storm. Um, But with warnings, they're going to watch that. And what they're also going to be watching for is um, smaller rotation, not necessarily even – actually, it's easier to spot if it's rotation that doesn't match up with that large storm rotation. And that is what they can actually catch on radar – That might be a tornado, and so they're also and they can also tell from radar whether where it is in the atmosphere. They're looking for lower level rotation rather than this high high level storm stuff. And so she even gave me a little bit of a breakdown on what colors you're looking for because they're really not look when you're looking at radar. A lot of times it's it's really just the Doppler is actually just reflecting something that it's detecting. A lot of times that's actually precipitation, right? So when red is bad, right? Red is bad. Yeah, red means the most. Okay. Okay. But usually, like, it's red. You'll see red, yellow, and green. But that's when they're looking at precipitation. So when you're looking at precipitation, you're seeing three colors. You're seeing green, yellow, and red. Uh, and that's the – red is the worst. Green is the least, okay? And so uh, when you're watching these radars, the radars on, on, on TV while you're, you know, f- figuring out whether you need to go in the basement or not, um, that's not the one you need to worry about, actually. It's when they go to the, the one that measures velocity, uh, which is like wind speed uh then there's only two colors there are red and green and so that radar uh seeing that small scale rotation could be enough for them to actually go ahead and declare a warning if they're really sure the condition's really look like it and they're pretty sure that could be a uh could be a tornado they might just go ahead and set off the set off the siren say it's a warning and of course when that warning happens that's when they're saying take cover we think the threat is imminent and it's likely going to it could kill you or damage wherever you are
1: very seriously so if the National Weather Service issues a warning, the sirens are probably going to go off. But they will also might go off people just start calling in, right? Right,
0: yeah. And that's actually – a lot of times that's the other factor they will wait for is to get a report from the ground because that's how that's – how Julie mentioned it was that you know they're watching radar, but that's not really reality. The truth is what comes from the field, and so they will take calls. They want the general public to call in and tell them when they see something they think is a funnel cloud, or especially if they see a tornado on the ground.
1: So we're talking um, about calling joint communications, nine one one, those people, or
0: or the weather service. Sometimes people will also or you call can call the, call the, the weather, weather
1: service. service themselves. But
0: yeah. uh, also people that will know how to call the National Weather Service are. Trained weather spotters, okay? So a lot of times uh, people that will call in, in, in addition to just whoever sees them, there are, you know, universities and local meteorologists that will actually call in to national weather and let them know what's going on. But there's also this other class of people called trained weather spotters, which can literally be anybody. We can go get trained tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow, but sometime soon. If you want Scott to be... you make it sound
1: like a terrible thing, maybe it's no. good that we can have a lot of spotters. No, it
0: is good. It is good. I wonder who these spotters are. They're weather enthusiasts, but you They're actually like
1: the neighborhood watch for the sky,
0: basically. Yeah, <laughs> but you get trained by meteorologists from the National Weather Service. They try to do these in St. Louis. They try to do them all the counties for their uh, jurisdiction of the National Weather Service. They try to do one training in each county each year. Julie said they do pay attention to any call. But, of course, when they get a call from somebody who is trained and knows what they're looking at, um, they'll be able to make that call that, okay, we need to step this up to a warning very quickly. So a lot of times there could also be a report on the ground that may – turn into a warning, even though the ra- radar may not be showing it yet, because it doesn't always register on radar. So it's kind of a, it could be either factor that actually turns into a warning. And that's why it's, there's so many times that we'll run down to the basement and no tornado
1: happens, right? Maybe, uh, maybe I should get, get this spotter training and I wouldn't be so freaked out all you the time. You might not,
0: or you might be just completely petrified either way. Uh, I mean, it might make just it worse. Looking at the window all the time. Basically, because you're like, <laughs> that looks like a funnel cloud. That's it. It's just a pointy cloud, Scott. It's fine. Don't
1: worry yeah. About it. It's noon. Who do you think should be a spotter? Who do you think are the better spotters? Oh,
0: well, I don't know. I guess maybe like a... A birder, something like that. Somebody who just watches the sky all day and doesn't have much to do. Yeah. Uh, who's already birders. In, who's, in, uh, okay. who's in an area that other people may not be in, so they may be spotting it. Because I think we don't need a lot of weather spotters in like uh, really highly populated areas, right? Because there's lots of people there. There are law enforcement there that can already spot it. To me, it makes sense to have them spread out all over the place. That's why I make a joke about birders. But they're all over, right? Or someone in a rural area is good because that may be, that may be the only person who's watching that sky in that you know two-mile area where, again, if it's in the center of Columbia, you're going to have hundreds of calls. Hundreds of people are going to see it and know what what it is. So uh, that's not... Julie didn't say that, but that's my opinion on, you know, what we want to have for these train train spotters is that then we've got uh, reliable people all over the place so that we can have a good heads up when these things are coming. But that's what Julie was saying. You know, she said, point blank, they'd much rather issue a warning and nothing happened than not issue a warning and something does happen, right? So they're very proactive about it. They'll issue a warning, even though... A warning is meant to be taken very seriously, and that's kind of like the uh balancing game for them is they want these warnings to be taken very seriously, but they also don't want to not issue them just for the sake of you know um, making sure that they don't make a wrong call on a warning because it's relatively the risk reward is very high uh as far as the reward of saving a lot of people's lives potentially compared to making you you know inconvenience for a, an hour or so when you have to go run down in the basement or whatever
1: so yeah. Okay, let's talk about uh, the government, how the city deals with this. So if the if NOAA issues a warning, um, then joint communications, uh, those are the people who answer your emergency phone calls. They are right there on Walnut Street, right above the police station. They're going to flip the switch. They have access to that switch. The siren system is a radio-controlled system, so that's why they look kind of like radio towers because in a way they are. We also have an office of emergency management, call themselves the OEM, and they are the people who technically manage our emergency response in the city, but all the infrastructure is kind of held by joint communications. They can flip that switch autonomously and they don't have to call up OEM or, or and ask them or something. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So there's not, I mean, there's still a middleman kind of, but at the same time. It's not a huge deal, right? they got it worked out, and it's one call. And in a situation like this, everybody knows we're keeping an eye on what's going on, and you are going to flip the switch when we have to.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, nobody wants to get in a situation where they're too cautious. Right. And if anything, I mean, with the National Weather Service
0: issues a warning, they're going to flip the switch no matter what. Yes. This is just they could flip the switch even earlier if they have
1: good local information. Yeah, they get local information, and nothing from, in a way, they might make that call themselves. Right. Yeah. So there's been a little bit of uh, kind of confusion and change around the Office of Emergency Management recently because it used to be a city entity, but is now kind of moving to a Boone County entity. That is happening with a lot of services in the area, certain things well, moving from the city well, to and, the county. Yeah. And there
0: was even the big 911 call center tax measure that just passed that will yes. build a new one under county control instead of city. That's affected the city budget in a few ways. So, yeah, it's it's a big ongoing story. And, it's, and there's you know larger populations in other parts of the county surrounding Columbia too. So yeah. this, this is a different show, but
1: right, yeah, and this makes a lot of sense for a number of reasons. But um, but apparently there was a change in management at the OEM while we were kind of figuring out this city county control thing, and briefly that position was was left open. They rehired it, but right now we have an interim director. His name is Scott Olson. But before that. Uh, I think in uh, 2000, just last year. Yeah, last year. Uh, last year, there was, uh, the person who had that job was Zim Schwartz. And I was looking this person up, and I was like, who is this person, Ryan? And you're like, oh, oh it's, it's Schwartz. Zim Schwartz. Why yeah. You don't know about Zim Schwartz? And. Um, why, why don't you explain to Zim Schwartz? Is? Sure.
0: Well, Zim Schwartz. The r- part of why you were wondering why this person is is because she has a very interesting hairstyle. And, and the vi- there's a video which we maybe should post to the web story on the, uh, on KBI.org for this podcast. But she has like you know kind of the spiky hair and then like this long kind of pony. It's rat a rat tail, rat tail kind of braid, braid, right? It's that's very at unique. Least the length of my arm. She pulls it off. I think. Yeah, I but,
1: think she, she looks pretty good. But yeah. but
0: it's very unique, right? And you're like, well, wait, what is this? And I'm like, oh yeah, well that's Zim Schwartz. She and she was a very she's a very well-known person in the community if you're listening to this you probably you may already know who she is but the the story about her every time the first thing everybody finds out about zim schwartz is that she was once on american gladiators as a contestant. There's actually rumors that she was like one of the characters on American Gladiators. There's only like four of them. Right, but that's yeah. just not true. Yeah. People, so I'm going to debunk that right now. But Bit there busted. is, <laughs> But I can confirm I've seen the video because it's posted. It's out on YouTube somewhere of her on American Gladiators. And I think she did really well. I think she may have won that day. I'm going to go watch the video again. But um, but yeah, so that's the story about Jim, Zim Schwartz. But now you look this up. She now works in Springfield. Yeah. Um, but she was, she was the director that was the position that was eliminated until they found out that oh hey that's not really like a legal thing we shouldn't be, we can't actually not have someone in charge of emergency management in the city yeah county. so
1: a lot of emergency management is funded through federal grants and the way that works is you have to have a manager to it's just the it's just the federal mandate in order to get this grant so usually that's done at the county level cities may also have one but more often than not they'll simply elect to have the county person be theirs but if there's no manager you don't get the funds and then you have no Emergency management coordination.
0: Right. Um, one thing we haven't talked about yet that you hear a lot about with storms and you probably may not understand is the – like the Joplin tornado was an EF5. Right or in Twister they talked a lot about F fives and F fours, right? Yeah, which before I, the EF system, right? Yeah. So there we go. Let's talk about that. So it's F is for Fujita, which is the last name of the guy who created this scale to rate tornado strength. Okay, and so there was a system until two thousand six that was just the F scale, but now it's EF, which is Enhanced Fujita. Fuhi, Fujita. Fujita. I'm hungry. Enhanced <laughs> Fujita scale. And so now they've taken on some, because the technology is better, there were some pretty known flaws with the old system. Now they've decided to go ahead and make that system better into the 2006 they decided to. So now it's used on an EF system. So there's a couple things that go into EF system. One is wind speed. And that makes sense, right? Because that's a pretty um, you know objective way to measure how powerful a storm is. So to get over an F, EF5 tornado, wind speeds need to be over 200 miles an hour, which is just crazy fast, right? Yeah. But the other thing that goes into uh, rating a tornado is actually the damage, which is a little more subjective, but not necessarily it, it, in the way that they do it. They do try yeah. to do it in a And that's
1: kind of the way. main point of the EF system so that uh, lay people can understand how dangerous a storm is because right. the just, just the wind speed alone is not quite enough.
0: Right. And so they'll actually go through, uh, you know, Julie from uh, the National Weather Service told me that they actually will go and they'll look at everything that was damaged. Um, and try to evaluate uh, how, how powerful it was based on how significantly things were damaged. So they'll look at homes and they'll look at large structures, but they'll also look at, like, outbuildings. Uh, they'll look at trees. They'll look at even just crops, things like that, to determine uh, how wide the tornado was, uh, how severe it was to the specific, you know, based on the uh, structural capabilities of the thing that was destroyed, Right. And so that that gives them more information about how powerful this thing was when it came through, because otherwise it's difficult to measure. And that's that was like the whole concept or the whole like. Uh plot line of Twister, right, was that they were trying to measure it by putting up these little things up into the tornado. That's right. Don't you
1: remember? The t- whole morning I was trying to remember the plot of that movie. Yeah, the
0: plot was they want to understand what tornadoes are, right? So they're
1: trying to throw flying robots into it.
0: Basically, yeah.
1: Actually a really good
0: idea. It was. I don't think anybody's really done that, unfortunately. Why not? I don't, I don't know. They told you how to do it in Twister. <laughs> Why haven't you done it, science? <laughs> uh, no, the real storm chasers just go around and take photos and are crazy. Yeah. Um, that That could also be another show the life of a storm chaser, but oh boy. Um, we'll save that one for later we'll put that on the list. But anyway, so the EF system um, is now, is the the new standard, but those EF four and five tornadoes are crazy rare. Okay. So the one in Joplin, as I mentioned earlier from 2011 was very deadly, one of the deadliest in us history. Um, and it was an EF five tornado, tor- tornado,
1: which, at first, though, they thought it might have been a, just a particularly vigorous EF4.
0: Yeah, they did. And, and uh, part of what took it over the top is that it, was, it did reach speeds over 200 miles an hour. But even an EF4 is very rare. Um, to be in that range is very, very rare. There, in fact, it's one out of about every 1,000 tornadoes are an EF5. Uh, so maybe one a year is basically how uh, some of the reports I've seen. You might see one a year. If you see more than that, it's a particularly bad year. Uh, 95% of the tornadoes that occur, according to the National Weather Service, are less – e, an EF3 or lower. And usually they're zero to one. That's what Julie Phillipson told me. Most tornadoes aren't going to be that powerful. Um, you know, still talking about over 100-mile-an-hour winds uh, most, a lot, some of the times. But they're not going to do the kind of destruction that you saw in Joplin or some of these main ones that you see Anderson Cooper standing out in front of hmm. every every year.
1: Let's talk about tornado history Because what's interesting about Joplin was that it was a really awful tornado, one of the worst in recent memory, but still just the seventh deadliest in the U.S.
0: Right, that's right. It gets a lot worse from there. It does. Um, Well, there were some very deadly ones earlier in in history as well. It's one of the deadliest contemporary Tornadoes. There is such a great system for watches and warnings, and there's a lot of prevention, and they talk, about, they do trainings and stuff. So it's uh, it, we got spotters. Yeah, you got spotters. There's there's a there is a pretty decent system in place, about as good as we can get at the moment. That technology will allow us because we don't have the flying robots Mm -hmm. yet that we can give people fair warning ahead of time. So there's not a lot of deaths anymore. Uh, It's not that tornadoes have gotten weaker. It's that we've gotten a little smarter. But like in 1925, the deadliest U.S. tornado ever was the great tri-state tornado, which I know horrified you
1: greatly. Yeah, like how many states can a tornado have? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I, I imagine tornadoes moving like, I don't know, like 60 feet and then being done with it, but this is just this this freaking tornado is going on a road trip.
0: Yeah, it is. No, the, uh, the National Weather Service said that tornadoes can actually be on the ground for as long as fifty miles, which that is, is crazy. Um, a lot. But yeah, this one went over, went through three states. It was the deadliest tornado in U.S. history. One of them was Missouri, and it killed an estimated six hundred ninety-five people. Yeah, which Joplin, by comparison, killed hundred and. Fifty eight, one hundred and sixty one, depending on your source, and uh, there, were, there was one person that died uh, after the tornado, so it's hard to attribute. But it's still, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, what four times as many? That I just do math right? I did, yeah, more yeah. Than, about four times as many people died in this. Other three term.
1: times the state. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I it's know just, you I still can't, can't, can't get over handle that. it. You can't, I can't get over it.
0: that. Um, I'm like that we're laughing about all these deaths. Mm-hmm. Another really deadly one in Missouri was in 1896. There was a tornado that went through St. Louis and East St. Louis mm-hmm. and killed 255 people.
1: Yeah, you're not saying this part because you want me to say it. I want you to say it. <laughs> they, well, they—I uh, mean, according to, to the article we read, that there's 255 people recorded deaths, but it was probably higher because of all the shanty boats on the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. This is the saddest thing. Not only are you living in a boat. And going through a tornado, but it's a shanty
0: boat. It's a shanty boat, and then yeah, they, and they can't even really account for you later. Yeah, and that's again the 1896 time frame. We you know numbers are less reliable than they are now.
1: Some third world uh, stuff.
0: Yeah, and, and then I guess again by comparison, you look at the Moore Oklahoma tornado. You may remember that one from earlier this year it was very devastating. Uh, went through a town that actually had already had a tor- a, another EF five tornado go through oh, it yeah. in 1999. Terrible luck. Uh only
1: twenty-five people died there. I shouldn't say only, but twenty-five people died in that tornado. And thirty-six in nineteen ninety-nine. So not super high on the deadly scale, but still some incredibly fast winds. I think actually the latest one in 2013 is the fastest wind ever recorded. Mm -hmm. Like anywhere.
0: Yeah, that's right. Was it around three hundred miles an hour?
1: Yeah, it was just over three hundred miles an hour. there might have been faster winds and other tornadoes, but um, understandably, it's very difficult to just get, like, right up in there <laughs> and measure it. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Like, what device will – you know, you have a storm that is flattening everything in its path. You can't just make a wind uh, a, a device that's going to protect against 300-mile-an-hour yeah. winds so, and still work. Too. Yeah. So I had heard that this uh, – they measured this wind speed 100 feet in the air. So imagine what that speed was like at the ground. Right. You know? Right. Right.
0: And, you know, that's one thing we didn't really talk about when we talked about – we probably should mention, too, when you talk about the formation of tornadoes is that sometimes uh, tornadoes will still exist in the air but never touch down, right? We talk about tornadoes touching down all the time. One thing I didn't know until we did the research for this show is that sometimes tornadoes can exist and you won't see them. There are invisible tornadoes, basically. That's great. I needed to hear that. Yes, I know you did. But, no, the wind that exists there doesn't necessarily take shape in a funnel cloud. Sometimes that wind can actually... That's why sometimes there will be significant damage, tornado-like damage, even though there was never a visible tornado in the area.
1: Right. Uh, Yeah, that vortex part, the narrow little funnel part is not really... The most dangerous or destructive part of it, right?
0: It's the winds really around yeah. it, right? It's not the it's not the object; it's the force, right? Sometimes those winds will then fill in with a funnel cloud, but that but so it has to do with the air pressure when these small rotations take place. Remember we talked about earlier, the small rotations that are smaller, not the large rotations, uh, the air pressure then will drop, and that is when the actual vortex, the funnel cloud, the tornado will drop down to the air. And that's why, you know, you talk about tornadoes going up and down. Sometimes they'll go back into the clouds. They don't just, like, you know, fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has to do with the air pressure levels. Uh, or at least that's what we understand currently in science. Again, there's a lot of this with tornadoes that we don't really understand yet scientifically. Because um, of the aforementioned lack of flying revives. Right, right. So, again, science, get on that. But, yeah, so that's, a, that's one thing to note, that that even though it may not always be – uh, you know, a easily recognizable tornado, there's still a lot of other factors that go into what, act- what you actually see, what actually touches down. Uh, you know, there may be a tornado that could have done a, a lot of damage that just never comes down,
1: which is a good thing, of course. But those still that thing will still exist in the air. Okay, I want to draw up this one little factoid before we go. Despite the power of the tri-state uh, crazy tornado in the 20s, so that's a top three Deadly storm, uh, top three deadly tornado in world history. Uh, But of the top six, four of them are actually in Bangladesh. The the U.S. has a number on that list but is by no means dominating it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't don't know if you do. I don't have any good answers as to why that is. I'm sure
0: there's again some – I'm sure it has to do somewhat with the geography of – combination of wind forces, but also I'm going to guess. You to download
1: Bangladesh Explained.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I'm also going to guess it has to do with population density as well. Right. Because that's one thing is that somewhat conveniently, I suppose, that this area where they happen very often in the U.S. is a sparsely populated area mostly, very rural area uh, in this tornado alley. And I, that must just not be the situation in Bangladesh where these happen to happen, happen to occur more often.
1: Yeah, it's just scary. I mean, like, this happens in recent history, too. It's not like the 20s where we can blame it on chanting boats or something. Right. You know, this, like, as late as, like, 1989, they've had a top three deadly tornado. Right, which,
0: again, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, even though Joplin's tornado was very powerful, it had more to do with where it hit. You know, some of those numbers have to do with chance more than they do with uh like with that. other stuff and you know in Joplin one of the big situations there too was that many people didn't have basements right so they didn't have the ability to protect themselves there were in a lot of fallout shelters and things like that um you know so there's other thing, other factors where you know uh, some of these death death toll might, might not be the best way to measure that's why they have the EF system right because then they can actually measure the tornado in a somewhat subjective way as opposed to some of that's up to chance unfortunately
1: yeah can you just say one other thing before we go? Dude? Sure. I've never like experienced it in in life because I because I'm from the West Coast and when I moved here, the sirens are just the most terrifying sound ever. <laughs> it just sounds like it just like fills you with dread. You know, it's it's a very it's this complex sound. It's got all these like it sounds sad and wailing like some yeah. kind of weird gigantic city sized ghost or something. <laughs> I don't is,
0: know. I don't think it, I don't find it that terrifying. Maybe because I'm just. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me anymore because there's I'm no other sound it. like it. But that's the point, right? Is that you <laughs> yeah. know that you know what the sound is when you hear it. You pure know that's terror a is what so, it No, is. it's not pure terror. It's that you know that you're supposed to be taking cover because there may be a tornado or something serious where you shouldn't be outside. And actually, that's the other thing about. Sirens is that they're meant to be warn people that are outdoors. That's why they're outdoor sirens. You're, right, that you're, you can oftentimes hear them from inside their house, but that's not what your house. But that's not what they're designed for. Actually, right,
1: they're designed to reach outdoors and get you indoors. And if you can't hear it indoors, that's not a big deal.
0: Right. Well, they're assuming that you hopefully have your own system set up inside, whether it's television or a uh, weather radio, something like that, where you can get the information that you need. But you've got that basic piece of information when you're outside that said hey, get inside or get somewhere safe. Um, I guess we could talk about that, where you're supposed to go, right? You're supposed to go to. No, nah, I don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about that? Yeah, okay, right, fine. We'll talk about it. We'll I, don't talk know. Know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, hey, well, hey yeah, you... I'm going to tell you all about tornadoes, but I'm not going to tell you how to save yourself. I'm going to okay. scare okay. the crap out of you, but not tell you okay. where okay. I go. All right, well, that's okay. gonna so going to do it Como Explained. I'm a Scott windows. fan. My co Ryan from and
1: Harum Helming. Give us a listen each and every week. Find us on KBIA.org or even better, the iTunes Store. Just search for Como Explained, and hit the subscribe button and get a shiny new podcast automatically. I, I'm laughing because I like can make fun of Twitter. If twist, you've got a comment so or a show idea, do, we like, love both. To Email a us at news point, at KBIA.org. K-Bia <laughs> Feed because us because at KBIA. yourself Thank you. Yeah, God. you could. Or just See like try to hold on, on to the pipe because that's actually
0: grounded, something anchored. But that's where we go. We go into that. We have a bathroom that's central to our home. That's where we go. The most central room in your house. Closets are actually good, too. Um, if you ever see the destruction afterward, notice their toilets and bathrooms are usually still standing. Right. nothing else is.
1: Yeah, um, they tend to be very interior too. Right, which yeah.
0: by design in a place like this, sometimes they'll design them that way. Uh, get a house with a basement. That's what we're going to do someday because my wife is a very is just like you, very anxious and <laughs> needs to uh, needs to have some protection. But um, if you're on the road, actually under an underpass is one place. Uh, mm. In a ditch, if 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 s is hitting the fan and you see the tornado the best thing you do is get into that ditch because it's lower level so it all may right. not actually that if that that's like literally a last ditch effort that's i hate that for that terrible <laughs> pun but it really, really is that. like that's the only thing you can do all right i'll leave that alone sorry for my like psa i just threw into this show
1: <laughs> this is, no it's fine it's fine god why do we do this stuff i don't even want to think about this
0: Ugh. And that's what it is. You just don't want to know. You just don't want to have to re- deal with the reality, do you,
1: Scott? I don't care about the EF system. Once I hear that siren, I am in full freaked out mode. I don't. <laughs> there's no levels. No, we do this as a, as a public service, though. This podcast. Okay, I'm gonna end it that's gonna do it for Como Explained I am Scott Fam. my co-host is Ryan from Uliner give us a listen each and every week find us on KBIA.org or even better the iTunes store just search for Como Explained then hit the subscribe button and get a shiny new podcast automatically each week if you've got a comment or a show idea we love them both email us at news at KBIA.org or tweet us at KBIA thanks for listening bye guys <laughs>